Hello, Erasmus. Hello, Joel. Well, it seems as though we're here for another episode of He for the Truth. We are. We are. It's a blessing that we get to do this and have awesome conversations with uh, lovely human beings all around the world. Absolutely. And we have another one for absolutely, this next Absolutely. Absolutely. Welcome, everybody, wherever you're listening to this, in your car, on our website, with headphones on. We're glad that you're hearing our voices right now, and we're glad that we get to have a an, another conversation. You know that's inspiring, and that hopefully sparks something within you to make a different decision, to open up new expansive pathways in your life. That's why we're here, and you know that's why we believe here for the truth for us is the ultimate mantra. in in many ways, you know, it's it really is a grounding force to constantly remind ourselves that the truth is the highest path, and to me, is the ultimate self development tool, and that's the reason that. We do this and we have these conversations and today we got Dawn Lester in the house, author of What Really Makes You Ill, but definitely as you'll see throughout this conversation has a much has much broader insights to offer than purely in the health sector, uh, I would say. On a quick note, Rise Above the Herd, round eight, doors are now open. Uh, we'd love to see you inside, you know. For us, like, just keeps getting echoed back to us every single time that we do this, how powerful this work is. You know, the breakthroughs that people have and the trajectory, life trajectory shifts that people experience as a result of doing this course is really, really, really humbling for us every single time. Um, so if you want to do the nitty-gritty work of getting deep into understanding your purpose, unfolding the mystery of life, developing more psychological wholeness, doing authentic shadow work, Developing true self-esteem that will empower you, you know, for a lifetime, then Rise Above the Herd is our eight-week group coaching program. And you can learn more about it by clicking the link in the show notes or at riseaboveTheHerd.co. Limited spots as always. And I'll leave that with you. Enjoy this episode. You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafidi and Eurosimos. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Here for the Truth podcast. Another incredible guest with us today, we have Dawn Lester. She's a researcher and writer. She's co-author of What Really Makes You Ill, published in December 2019, as well as two books published in 2010 under the pen name NOR. The events of 2020 and beyond have inspired her to look deeper into the meaning of life and the true nature of our experiences. Her ongoing journey of self-discovery has inevitably led to the re-examination of some of the most difficult experiences of her own life, including her cancer diagnosis and subsequent treatment. Through studying modalities such as IFS, she's been able to gain valuable insights and view those painful past experiences in a different light. Her current research is focused on various topics that assist her in deepening her understanding of life, which she believes involves learning how to integrate our understanding of our true nature as consciousness with living our lives as free and uniquely individual men and women. Dawn, thank you for being here for the truth. Thank you for inviting me. It's, it's great to be here. Um, I've, as I said, I've, I've watched a number of your podcasts, so it's, it's great to actually be with you guys. Thank you. Oh, it's, it's great it's to... It's a pleasure. A pleasure to have you, for sure. Yeah, it's great thank to you. have you here. You, you touched on um, you know, some key moments briefly in that bio, but... As you know, one way we always like to kick this off is by diving deep into your personal hero's journey. If you can expand a bit on some of those major transformative and catalyzing moments in your life. 
Yeah, thanks. I have only recently started talking about the um, my experience with the cancer diagnosis, um, partly because I'd kind of shifted away from thinking about it because, uh, again, I know that when you focus on something, you're kind of putting the energy into it. Um, so I know that, you know, when people are in these um, support groups, you know, that they're still focusing on what's on the problem. And so I wanted to move on and get on with my life. So I'd kind of shunted it to one side, but I realized there's some value in talking about it now and hopefully, um, you know, f- for other people as well, because it wasn't it wasn't so much the actual diagnosis. It was the fact that I went through the standard treatment. I had surgery, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and I even went on tamoxifen for a while. And I know a lot, you know, there's lots of statistics that say, you know, there's sort of, you know, survival rates and all those sorts of things. So in some ways I'm, you know, um, privileged to still be here. Um, but I know there's a purpose to all of that. And um, as I was saying just before, the the more I think about it all, the more I see that there's there's a purpose for having gone through that and to then still be here. And in terms of the hero's journey, I, I've, I've only recently started thinking of it in in that kind of context. I'd never seen it in that way. It was just, well, I got through it somehow and I'm here and I get on with whatever it is I'm doing in my life. Um, it's, it's just that, as I say, when I've been thinking about it, that kind of look at it and think, actually, yeah, there was there was something in that for me. And I suppose in some ways it is a, a hero's journey to have come through it because it was the catalyst that actually got me to make some major changes in my life. Um, and at the same time, the changes I was making were to, to take me forward, but at the same time, in some ways, they were a reflection of how I'd felt when I was younger. So again, the kind of start of the journey wasn't, you know, wasn't at that later stage. I kind of think um, back to when I was younger and certain the certain things that I was thinking and feeling, and I always felt uh, different. And I think a lot of us who are in this kind of freedom space have. Or had had have had that feeling where we're not um, co- sort of quite the same as everyone else. We're not happy to lead what you might call a, a kind of normal life. There's something else calling us. Or uh, I mean, when I when I was you know still quite young, um, I was regarded as being kind of off in my my own little dream world, you know. So you know, I had to come back to reality. So I had to kind of go back to being normal as it were. So I was um, really kind of uh, in a slightly different mindset from being normal, but I thought, and I listened to everyone else and decided to do normal. So I, um, that's when I kind of trained as, I mean, <laughs> couldn't get more boring, could you, as being an accountant. Um, if anyone's familiar with the whole Monty Python thing, you know, I never wanted to be an accountant. So yeah, the boring accountants. I, I tried that for a while, actually for quite a long while. Um, it didn't really suit me, but it was, you know, trying to do, if you like, normal. Um, you know, uh, got married, had a child, um, and then had the, uh, uh, well, I wasn't say the cancer diagnosis, but again, that's tied to other 
you know, not, nothing sort of isolated, nothing separate, is it? When you look, you know, everything's interconnected um, because the um, my husband of the time, I'm uh, we, we divorced many years ago. Um, his mother um, was diagnosed with cancer on it. Um, we came back to that from a honeymoon to that piece of news, and a year later she died. So obviously there was that, um, you know, the the cancer thing being out there and thinking, oh, uh, because um, he was very attached to his mother and and it was, you know, quite tragic. He was very emotionally affected by it uh, for a long time. Um, so I had this fear of, oh, well, I hope that never happens to me. And of course, you know, we know with sometimes you can attract certain experiences through, you know, the, the emotion of it. So, um, when was, then, when was the timing? When, like, when did you get your cancer diagnosis? Uh, it, the, well, in, in 19, cause you know, kind of having these different sort of, um, screening programs and, you know, get called in to have screening. And at the time, obviously I was more aware. So I, I had a, um, a screening, a, um, a mammogram in 1993 that yeah. came up with, uh, just benign. Uh, but two years later in 95, they said, mm, um, not the same this time, sorry. So that's when I went into, uh, I had surgery, uh, as I say, chemotherapy um, and radiation. That uh, It was only one sort of set of mm-hmm. chemotherapy. It wasn't for very long. Um, and um, so, yes, that kind of all that finished in about 1996. Now I decided I needed. I I knew I needed to make changes in my life, so I started making some changes. Some of them, you know, like lifestyle, food, and and you know, and I also knew at the time though, and I have no idea where it came from, but I absolutely knew my mindset was important, and not to get drawn into the fear. I knew um, that how I how I approached it, how I felt about it, how I thought about it, which is again why um, you know there's there's some merit to uh, the and the support groups because you know you you've got some you know other people going through something that you're going through and that you know you're kind of not on your own and then there comes a time when you just think mm, no it's it's time to sort of make some changes not to just sit in this place um, and. I was not really into victim consciousness, I don't think. You know, I don't – I mean, obviously to a certain extent, but I wasn't um, feeling sorry for myself. You know, I I was pulling myself through somehow, you know, the the old um, inner critic sitting there, you know, telling me what to do and, and you know, say, you know, get on with it, you know, stop moping and just keep going. But I knew something wasn't quite right, Um and as the years went on, and then eventually in 2001, I just realized um, the problem was the way my life was going and the marriage um, just wasn't right and what I was doing. So I um, ended that, came out of that, made some other changes in my life, which which uh, led to meeting David Parker, and that led to the the Nature of Reality book, and that really, you know, that research really helped me to understand what I was doing, and then that led to the research. 
that actually led to what remakes you will that was launched um, in December 2019, just before 2020. Um, mm. So that was a, interesting you know, timing. Oh yes, very very good timing. Yes, um, and again, you know, in in the context of how things work out, you know, looking back on it, I mean, it was absolutely perfect timing because the whole COVID nonsense gave us a platform to then um, speak about health. And and as again, as I said at the beginning, I wasn't really talking publicly about the sort of cancer thing um, just because it wasn't I, – I didn't think it was about me at the time. I was just trying to – share the information about, you know, what's, you know, the nonsense of the whole idea that there was a pandemic or any of those kinds of things. So um, um, where was I? So again, moving forward with, again, making changes and then coming to where I am now. So um, that's not to say that I know a lot of people have gone through the treatment and not come out of it the other side. So it's it's very, I, th- I think part of it was very much, uh, uh, I think there's something called survivor guilt, isn't there? So, you know, kind of, you know, not trying to say, oh, look at me, I survived. It, it wasn't that. So I think part, that may have been sort of playing out in the early days of not wanting to make a big deal because, you know, I know it's, it's it's pretty tough. A lot of people take the treatment, don't get through it. So, what was the specific cancer? Uh, it was breast cancer. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And just, was there? Did you have like a you know a, a prevalent experience of like the the fear of death come up through that process? And I'm wondering like how your relationship with with death has changed as a result as well. Um. Really interesting because I've 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 heard you talk about this. Or I've heard other people, and I I don't think I had a um, I don't think I had a fear of death. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that you know that that's quite common. And when I say common, I mean that that's that's something that a lot of people have when they have the sort of cancer diagnosis. I think for me, it was a question of deciding to actually have a life. Mm-hmm. Whereas I wasn't truly living, so it was. A, I, I think there were some times when I, I had a, um, you know, he, he's a crossroads. You know, well, do you carry? You know, do you give in or do you carry on? Yep. Um, and it, I never had that feeling of wanting to give up, even though there were some, you know, tough times. It was still a question of, no, I. Uh, I'm I'm not giving up. I'm not giving in, you know, keep going, you know. Yeah. I mean, to me, like death is just stagnancy. And, you know, very often our, our lives are in a state of stagnancy and 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 decay without us even really label it labeling it that way or labeling it as as though, you know, things are in a disintegration cycle. So, you know, that that, that can be happening for years before, you know, someone gets a diagnosis as such. Yes, I mean, quite often it can be, you know, a wake-up call for uh, making that choice of whether you want to live, you know. Um, And I, you know, every time I had those kind of crossroads moments, I always chose life. It it was like being in the middle of a story where, you know, well, I want to know how this ends. You know, it's like I'm 
yeah. not believe you know, it's like walking out of the cinema half, part way through a film. You know, I want to see how yeah. this ends. I mean, not that there is an end, but you know, what I mean, I just you know, I'm I'm not the story's making not joke. finished. The story's not the finished. Story's not. Yeah. Mm. So, like, for you, like, what does it mean to truly live? Oh, it yes, fantastic question. It means to to do everything that is um, that that oh, yeah. It's not just following the kind of standard path of you know you go out and get a job and stuff, but it's to really understand what we are, what we're here for, and to. Put it into action and to do something that is for um of benefit you know not just for me for everyone to actually connect with my kind of you know greater self expanded self and to really know that there is a purpose there is something to do here and to find out what that is to you know and to be the best that I can be at any moment in what I'm doing, how I'm speaking to people, how I'm uh, interacting with people, what I'm doing, how I'm doing it. Yeah. And I, it's an ongoing journey. It's not, there's never an end point. It's, you know, it's just carrying on and finding, you know, but being open to, you know, new ways to new paths, to new directions, to keep moving, not, not to get stuck. Yeah. You're definitely speaking our language. Yeah, and it's, it's a it's a heroic act every single day to do that, you know, to to not numb out, to not just regress into the, you know, the dull comfort and convenience, you know, that most people are sold. And, you know, life life's not all rainbow and roses and butterflies and, you know, yellow 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 brick roads. You know, to me to really live, you know, we're deep in the mud here. We're deep in the, you know, the, the fertile soil you know that sometimes is dark sometimes is gross um it's really choosing to engage with that as consciously as possible and turning the light of consciousness on every single day of your life and every single interaction and every single moment as best as you can like my my heart goes out to every human being on that journey and on that path yes as you say the it's not all sunshine and roses even you know when you are doing what you love doing you know and um it's uh you know that there are there are always i don't know if it's challenges um but there are opportunities to to learn and uh, you know sometimes there are some dark moments and they're the ones um that i always pull myself through by saying well you know you got through that so you know you can it's almost like well just get on with it you can it's it's that inner voice kind of keeping me going although it doesn't need to shout at me quite as much and quite as loudly these days you know it's just but occasionally you know just need that reminder of you know come on you can you can get through it there's you're here for a reason you know and there's more truth to be discovered so as you say and i here for the truth it's like well let's let's keep going let's keep finding out what's true, what we can do with it. And that's the point of of what we can do with it, learning who we are and putting that into action. Yeah. yeah. That's the that's the exciting part, I think, about living. Um, well, why are you here? Like why why are you like you've lived some years on this 
planet? You know, why are you here? What's your purpose so far, you know, that you've, you've discovered? Uh, well, I'm in the early stages of kind of really discovering that and, and putting that uh, into into action. Um, I'm I I feel I've got a um, like a a role as a, as a bridge as a um, is what I'm looking into actually creating a, a program that that does that to to be able to speak to people to uh i've i've been told that i've you know with my manner you know people feel you know kind of um comfortable with me or you know and this is something that's happened a lot throughout my life that people talk to me i'm i'm a good listener and people you know over the years lots of people have you know told me all their troubles and their woes and so um I obviously can listen. Um, not that I tell people what to do either, and I can go make some suggestions and ideas. But obviously, people feel comfortable with opening up to me and 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 talking to me. So there's something useful to do with that. To um, so it's for people who are, I suppose. Um, not at the stage of like your audience, but people who are starting to realize there's something wrong with the world um, and are feeling somewhat overwhelmed. I know we often say, you know, there's a kind of two groups of people. There, there are those of us who are, you know, awakening and and uh, and looking at everything that's going on and, and moving forward. And there are those who are stuck and just aren't ready. I, I believe strongly believe and that there's plenty of um evidence i've gained over the last few years of talking to people that there is a there is another group of people who are who who are aware that there's something strange going on that the world isn't the way we're told it is um but they're a little bit tentative and they're not ready to take these great leaps into all the information that you know we've uncovered because i mean a lot of us have, t have spent years diving into all these different rabbit holes and finding out what's wrong and the problems uh, as well as looking into how to how to move forward and what to do but i think they're taking their first tentative steps so it's um it's finding ways to to reach those people to be able to speak to them to assure them that you know we're not these crazy conspiracy theorists we're actually a decent bunch you know <laughs> where you know we're just looking at life differently we're not you know we're not crazies so that's i i think in in some ways my role being able to to talk to different people and for people to feel calm and happy to to talk to me and to come out of this strange place that is that we were told is how the world worked and um to say well it's not but it's okay because it's actually better than we were told i love it i mean i agree when i first met you at music and sky i just wanted to hang out with you and talk with you and and give you a hug you know obviously i respect you for your work that you've done in your book that you brought into the world which came at the right time as a lot of people were starting to question um, germ theory, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for everything that's going to unfold for you. Um, what, um, what, since you wrote that book, like what have you learned and how has that 
um, inspired like the new research that you're you're doing and exploring? Uh, well, the one thing I found is that a book, you know, like a, a photograph is is only a snapshot of the moment in time. And um, you know, it's there's so much more to learn about how the body actually works. And there's a lot more that I've been learning about that and also about how things, some things aren't even the way we're told, you know, in, in certain ways, you know, think ideas like, you know, cells are cells the way we're, we're made to believe, you know, are they actually there in the body in the same way, how the body actually functions that there's, you know, um, an electrical Aspect. I mean, that's included in the book, but the um, things like you know, with the with the biofield, the work of Eileen McCusick, and and how you know the the energetics of our bodies and how how we interconnect energetically and how that all fits in. So there, there's a lot more that I'm learning about those um, aspects, and of course that that moves beyond the book. Um, so again, it's learning the, the the different aspects of health and and what we can do about it, and just the different, uh, like I said, the different modalities of connecting how our emotions work, the effect of our you know um, our ideas, things like um, the nervous system, how important that is to to settle that, and obviously you know with the work of with Sophie's work, um, really important to to understand that aspect of of our bodies not just our thoughts but how it how it works physiologically how that's all connected um so i've i've been diving into those kinds of areas um at the same time i'm i, I was sort of i see myself as a bit of a you know big picture person so i like to look at how all these different aspects fit together so i tend not to go like really deep down each different <laughs> aspect. I mean, let's say rabbit holes, but, you know, I, I don't dive really deep. I, I look enough to understand how the concepts work and then I see how it fits together. So, you know, with, with looking at things like human design, I, I haven't <laughs> I haven't gone sort of like really deep, but I can see that we are, uh, we are all unique um, because I've always, th- I've always kind of thought that uh, there's something to do with our astrological charts, you know, being Pisces, and for some, in some ways, I've always thought myself as, you know, fairly typically Pisces, and yet um, I have an older sister who's, uh, if I'd have been born a day later, I'd have been born on her third birthday, so we're like one day apart, bar three years, um, but totally, totally different, and yet we're both theoretically Pisces and that's never made sense and also the fact that you know you've got a twelfth of the population all you know under the same astrological sign and and we are all unique so the human design aspect kind of oh yes we are all unique we have all got um something uh different about us from other people who may be born even on the same day but a few hours later I mean, again, also knowing that, uh, like with genetics, you know, we're we're not tied to our genes, and even you know, identical twins aren't exactly identical. You know, there are differences, um, even though sometimes yeah. they can be 
somewhat more subtle. Well, there's yeah. these templates, you know, you can look at there are these templates, but again, you still have to live life. You still have to interact with the world. You're going to experience like twins are going to experience. They're not going to experience the same life experiences and the same traumas. And how does that then impact you? You know, obviously, you know, we're into Dr. Hammer's work, German New Medicine. So even how does the specific traumas or how the constellations impact your personality? And so that differs, you know? And so, yes, like human design has a certain template. Astrology gets very deep and nuanced. There's so many elements to it. Joel can speak more on that. And yet you still have to continue to live life and interact with your environment, interact with the people that are there. And so like the amount of potential that exists in terms of how that will impact you moment to moment, month to month, year to year, is so vast. Uh, yes, and and as you say, every moment's different. Um, the other thing we, I mean, I'm not going to go like into it, but the whole thing with the you know virology and the cell culture experiments and the idea of having a control. And one of the reasons I, I think it's virtually impossible for the medical system to understand the human body is because there's no such thing as a, as a control because you can't control for any one aspect of the human body because it's not just the physical bits that they take out and then they test in their experiments because there's so much more, you know, and there's consciousness and there's so many other influences. Um, so I, I actually thought the only way to have a true control would be to clone somebody, except, of course, that the minute there's a clone, there are differences because the 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 environment, the the thoughts, the ideas, whatever that makes up that individual clone, would start being different, and so oh. it, it's impossible to be exactly the same. And also, in the context of the experience of, um, as I like to call the the creative force, all that is, because I think that's just all encompassing, from the perspective of all that is, we're why would why would you want to duplicate any experience? You know, we're all different to have the different experiences, to share the different experiences. What would be the point of any kind of repeat, exact repeat? Because that doesn't add to the experience that it's it wouldn't it's be redundant. Yeah. Okay. I was gonna say it wouldn't be useful. I was I was finding it slightly softer, but yes, it's redundant. Yeah, it'd be redundant. So again, you know, everything changes in each moment um, and we can change in each moment. And so we make the best of where we are in each moment without being tied to the past, which also was one of the reasons I thought, well, I didn't want to talk about the cancer experience. But again, it has its um, usefulness for me personally, and also talking to other people when they go through, you know, if they're talking about difficult situations, I say, well, you know, I can sympathize, empathize, you know, I've been there and I've found ways through it. Yeah. So it's, it's it, you know, from that perspective. Yeah, it's very inspiring too, I think. I think when you share a piece of like your, your story and your struggle, I mean, that's where people feel connected. And if someone is, you know, earlier on the path than where you are in terms of their now like dealing with a health issue or they're dealing with something else and they go, Oh, wow, here's this lovely human in front of me who has persevered and who has gone through this and who has lived and who has survived, you know, in a world that is always trying to beat you down and, and talk about all the bad things that are happening and scare you 
And then to have a voice and to have a person to be like, no, I did this, you know? And so I think it's, I, I just think it's important that like we share the things that we've, we've moved through and that we've worked through and that we've, we've overcome. Uh, it connects us and it's extremely inspiring, you know, and it makes us more human because especially when you're in this world where you're like, you're on podcasts or you have a podcast or you write books or you do things like you get projected on very easily. Like, oh, you're at this place or you have these answers. And it's like, we're just three human beings like trying to do life. You know, we're just doing it like, yeah, okay. Maybe some people know who we are, but like, I cry, I hurt, I, I deal with stuff. Like it's not always roses and butterflies as Joel said. And, and I just think that's what I think connects humanity is the vulnerability, the vulnerability that you share and that someone sees in you is extremely powerful. And it's what links people together. And especially when that vulnerability is like, is balanced, it's like, it's not just like you're taken over by it and you're just wallowing in victimhood, you know, but when it's there and you're connected and, and there's like your heart opened and you're sharing something, it's just, it's something else. So to me, like vulnerability is just the word that we've given for realness, for authenticity. It's because, because it's so unusual when someone's so real and so authentic, you know, we just say, oh, they're, they're, they're being vulnerable. Like, nah, man, we're just being open. We're just being real. And that's, yeah, that's, but, that's, but, that's the breeding ground for intimacy. That's the breeding yeah, ground but, for but, connection. But there's realness that's not vulnerable. Do you know what I mean? Like there's authenticity. It's vulnerable. I'm like authentically playing a sport and I'm in the zone and I'm killing. I might not be like sitting there with tears coming down my eye, you know? So there's a different part. There's a different taste. I hear what you're saying. I just yeah, think. But you can't, you can't have vulnerability without, without realness. You know, it can't, it can't exist. It's not, you're not being vulnerable then. When someone, when I, someone I, says you're being vulnerable, it's like, oh, you know, they're really being, they're showing me the deepest parts of themselves they're being more real. They're being. They're showing me the more realness than I've ever seen. I hear you, but I was just commenting on saying vulnerability is is is, is just they're authentic, and it's like you know, there's more to that. That's what I was. I, I agree. It's a unique aspect of authenticity, but to me, it's an extreme aspect of it as well. Don, what do you think? <laughs> uh, I think these conversations are extremely useful, and it shows humanness, and it's not about you know. I mean. I know you've been in the, you know, the sort of the film industry, Erasmus, and, and, you know, you know how fake that can be. So these conversations show that we are human and, you know, we're not pretending that, you know, we know it all, we've got the answers, you know, we've, we might be able to help with some direction and this is what we've experienced. But I mean, I, mm. you know, I don't tell, well, this was the, this was the other thing again, um, uh, when I was a child, I'd never liked being told what to do. I mean, I I was the um, the, uh, sorry, the sorry, I was saying six two profile. It's okay, continue. Oh well, yes, as I as I've been discovering, um, but I was more the sort of shy, and I'd I I wouldn't um answer back or anything like that. But I um, but I do remember that if I was doing something and I was then told to do it, it was like it lost it for me. It was like, it, it was, mm -hmm. I, I didn't want to do it anymore because I'd been told. Um, so th there was, there is that, there was that. So because of that, I wouldn't dream of telling people what to do, but at the same time, you know, that's the kind of, you know, the volunteerist type um, attitude anyway. It's like, well, you know, we, we choose what we want to do. And I've, I never liked the, even, even though I was sort of a bit of a hippie. I mean, I never went into a commune or anything, but I didn't like the idea that everyone was the same. So I've never liked that. Um, 
you know, so there are there are certain things that I've had views on, um, not always expressed because they weren't necessarily in line with everyone else. But I suppose, you know, the more the more I discover, the more I think, oh yes, I used to think like that, or those, those kinds of things. So that that's what I mean about the bringing the past in into kind of well, that's useful because that's you know stood me in good stead. Uh, and the other thing is being able to see two different points of view and not agreeing with either of them. Um, I, I mean, again, because I mean, I'd say when I when I was younger, I, I was quite shy and timid, um, but I'd never speak. I always thought I was, you know, sitting on the fence and, and you know, not take, you know, oh, you're supposed to take sides or you're supposed to come to some kind of, you know, you're supposed to agree with somebody. And I was like, well, I can see both your points of view, but I don't, but I don't agree with either, you know, um, and I think now it's really useful, and especially in terms of what's going on in certain parts of the world that that um, and the way the whole system is designed to to draw us into making taking sides, you know, being rah rah for one side or the other, um, and understanding that that that's partly to do with our own inner conflicts, um, and again getting that balance of seeing what's out there really feeling for what's happening and at the same time recognizing that there's there's something for us to deal with you know internally in terms of either the conflict or, or what, whatever that means so yeah yes these are definitely interesting times and i i i, that's a, I don't that's that's answers, a very but- yeah that's a very piscean quality as well you know not you know People call it ambivalence, but, you know, when done consciously, it's like this conscious ambivalence, you know, recognizing that there are two sides to an equation and not really staking the flag in the ground too hard either way. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite a Piscean trait that you're talking about there. All right. Oh, so I am Pisces. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I, uh, I can't remember some of the other traits, but anyway, it's it's... Uh, as I say, I, I used to think it was a, a weakness that you know that I wasn't you know taking sides, or um, and yet now I can see it's it's actually really useful yeah. because it it means you can stay calm and and again from the bigger perspective, you know, from the big picture perspective, to sort of to be able to sit back, and that doesn't mean to say I'm cold hearted, you know, I'm I'm not, you know, I'm I'm emotional, and again, you know, emotional authority, so I. I do feel these things. It's a question of how you allow yourself to get drawn in. And that's the whole point of being, seeing how things work and, and, and not being drawn in. And and at the same time, being able to have conversations with people where you're not um, allowing yourself to, to be pulled into what they're trying to encourage you to, you know, side that they're trying to get you to take or that kind of thing. So it's, um, yeah, I think it requires some kind of ta- being tactical or being, well, being tactful. Sorry, not just tactical, but tactful as well, diplomatic, how you choose to engage with people. And, and that's that's an ongoing journey, you know, because it's just new opportunities to, you know, think about these things differently all the time. Now a short break from the episode. So Rise Above the Herd was a significant turning point for me. I guess I'd been playing small, hiding in the shadows, flying under the radar a little bit these last few years, and it really gave me the courage and the confidence to 
come out and stand fully in my light, speak my truth. Thank you, Joel and Erasmus, for creating Rise Above the Herd. If I hadn't done this course, I wouldn't be focusing on myself, building my self-esteem, learning new skills, and the cherry on top is being connected to like-minded individuals who are all amazing creators and now my friends. Rise Above the Herd Round 8, our eight-week transformational group coaching program for truth seekers, decondition from disempowering ideas, develop authentic self-esteem, do real profound shadow work, and get on with discovering your life's purpose and actually walking that path, taking action in building that reality. Um, spots are filling up very fast. To learn more and join the program, head to riseabovetheherd.co or use the link in the show notes. Back to the episode. Yeah, it's it's interesting to think about because I think like during the 2020 and, and, and COVID era, you know, like there was an element of moral objectivity which was very much so honed and sharpened during that period like you know everyone was in very distinct camps and it seemed as though it was the moral source right thing to do you know it was in terms of the clear distinctions like we all definitely picked a side you know we didn't just sit sit there and be like oh yeah maybe there's something right about the vaccines maybe there's something right about you know the mandates like we we, we weren't having that experience no, no. I mean, there are some times where you, you you make decisions, you come down on one side. So yes, I mean that. Um, yes, I wasn't suggesting in all um, cases. So yeah, th- thanks for pointing that out because I, I don't mean in in all aspects, in all areas where there was something you needed to think about. I mean, having spent years, you know, looking into the whole health thing, I you know I knew that there was no such thing as you know a vaccine that did anything of any use. So there was no question of um, or, you know, which side to take. Uh, yeah. But I didn't even see that as sides, though. So I suppose I hadn't seen mm. it in that perspective. It was more, um, well, what's, you know, what's true? You know, yeah. what, where's the, it's it's always the kind of, you know, where's the evidence? Is there any? No, there's none. Um, and uh, I mean, one of the interesting things in, in the research, what's interesting was the fact that there were so many contradictions. Um, and uh, I used to love finding them because that was the kind of, you know, my little gotcha moments, you know, they're contradicting. So they're okay. So if they're contradicting themselves, they haven't got a a, a a fixed narrative. So that meant that there was always something to question and that therefore, you know, that was um, – so pointing those out, exposing those was really useful. Um, but no, I mean, there are certain certain points where you just say, no, there, there is no – there is no kind of either or sitting back. You know, there are always, deci- you know, points where you where you do have to make decisions. Um, and yes, knowing there was nothing to fear um, from any kind of microscopic nonsense flying around and zipping through masks and all that stuff. It's just crazy, craziness. And and at the beginning, you know, there was I was you know fired up by it all and looking at things in a certain way that I have I have shifted that mm-hmm. into being more thoughtful, more sort of, you know, compassionate for people who who fell for it unwittingly. Yeah, or maybe may have made a different choice based on, you know, their personal experience or their knowledge at the time. And I think that's important, you know, because I remember in 2020, like the things I was sharing and where my energy was at, like I was much more self-righteous 
Now, part of that too is because I felt like I was being threatened. I was being ostracized. I was considered a lesser human being. I was not allowed to live as a normal human being, you know, in a certain way. And, um, you know, that, that struck at a vulnerability of mine and I chose to kind of, you know, not run away from it, but as time passes and, and gain more objectivity and, you know, a little bit more compassion. And like, I don't think my purpose is to sit there and just be pointing the whole time. I'll tell, I told you so, or like you did this thing. Now you're going to die. Like I'm not a doom and gloomer because again, here we are talking about the power of consciousness, you know, like the power of consciousness and mindset and how does that impact the body and what's happening in the body? Sure. There are things and mechanisms in place that can impact you and poisons and things like that. But you know, control what you can control. And so if you're going to live in fear about a decision you made in the past, that's not going to support you either. And so how can you shift your thinking around, hey, maybe you come to a realization and go, oh, I, I did something for reasons at the time that, you know, I don't align with anymore and I can't really just sit with that anymore. I can't, I can't, I can't judge myself and hate myself and, and worry and be afraid. I have to I have to take the next steps in my life and I have to live with feeling more empowered and that my body is an amazing miracle and my consciousness can impact so much and, and move that way. So, you know, I don't, I don't, I still think it's relevant. It's, it's beneficial to, to tell someone who made a different decision that like all the horrible things that could happen, you know, like it's, I see that going around and I'm like that, what, what benefit does that do? None. And, and that's, one of the problems with um, some of the what's called alternative media, although I, I, I don't know that it is anymore. And um, well, I, I'm not quite sure how to, to label it, but it's it's just as bad as the mainstream. But their their fear mongering is is in a different direction. But they're still um, coming up with this doom and gloom. And you know, so many people were saying, "Oh, I mean, it was a few years ago that you know anyone who taken the the vaccine was." was going to have whatever, you know, was was going to die in three years. I was like, oh, wow. I mean, that was just outrageous. Yeah. Because, outrageous. Uh, because we know the power of consciousness, you know, the nocebo effect, how powerful that is. You know, people, uh, I mean, there's, there's, you know, some people um, in the medical system actually call it medical hexing. You know, it, it's, it's the bone, po bone pointing, you know. Um, oh, oh, that definitely was a big thing in the early HIV AIDS years too, because, you know, they were, I mean, you were, if you were given that diagnosis of HIV in like the eighties and, you know, it was pretty much like, oh, I'm, uh, I'm, my, I'm, my life's going to end, you know, like you were considered a, like having leprosy and to be kept away, like, don't go near that person. And, and so like, talk about the nocebo effect and the medical hexing, that was huge, huge. Oh, absolutely. Um, and that wasn't helped by the, you know, toxic drug that they came out no, with. No, no, AZT didn't help. No, no. I mean, that that really made it worse. But it just shows how powerful the whole um, system can be when it's telling people that, you know, you've got this whatever and, um, you know, you're going to you're going to get a disease and this is going to kill you. And, um, I, I mean, it's... Yeah. It's the well, there aren't words to describe what an awful system that is that that actually calls itself a health system. Mm, so it's you know the upside down world. And it is it is the upside down world, and obviously the more of those kind of um, contradictions that we point out to people as nicely as possible, those who aren't kind yeah. of quite there yet, 
and and just say, you know, have you looked at this? Have you thought about this? Are you aware of this? And just slowly help them come to their own conclusions. But that's the point, not giving them information, but helping them choose for themselves. Like you said, you know, when they um, they may have made decisions and think about it and choose differently. I know people who have, um, you know, taken vaccinations for certain reasons and just said, no, no more. In fact, actually, the more I've heard, people are saying, you know, no more. So, um, you know, there is there is a... a a lot, as I said, a large swathe of people who are who are really slowly coming out of the that kind of mainstream because they can see just how much um, is going on, how much of it is just wrong. It's it's obviously wrong. It's ridiculous as well. Some of the stories and the fact that it's pushing fear all the time, and people just say no, 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 too much, too much. But some people still share lots of stuff on social media, and so. You know, it, it doesn't help because it keeps this overwhelm in place, which again is, you know, not healthy uh, because it keeps the body in stress, you know, the nervous mm-hmm. system. Um, and and people just can't function when they're under that stress. Um, you can't heal. Well, you can't heal when you're in a sympathetic state. No, no. And, so. and like you said, the body is an amazing organism you know it heals itself um and that's that's big that's a big eye opener for many people you know the body heals itself what do you mean i don't have to go to the doctor no (laughs) you know it's 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 it is it's it's turning everything has been inverted so we're, we're kind of pushing it to to turn it back to how it should be to say no this is this is what's natural this this organism is can you know can look after itself. We have to do something to help it, though. You know, there's quite a few things we need. Yeah, to of do course. To help yeah, it. I mean, it's just not just just li- living and doing nothing, especially if you haven't done the work to shift your mindset and to do the work to build greater capacity within your nervous system and and find your purpose in life and have relationships that are fulfilling and nurturing. You know what I mean? So it's like it's not just like okay, I'm going to stop going to the doctor. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. There's so many elements. There's a holistic view of this. So yeah. I hear you. I mean, the me- the medical complex is very much so dependent on a disempowered population, you know? And I think that's why big pharma and big media are just a, a match made in hell in terms of, you know, continuing to al- allow that thing to prosper. And I think when someone comes to the decision of, I no longer need a doctor, like it's almost the symptom and the combination of so many other life choices to empower oneself. And then there's the, you know, the finality of, you know what, I don't need that anymore in my life. Mm, I don't think it's the first step. No. Um, even yeah. though it would it, it would be really useful if, if more people kind of said, actually, you know, um, but I think what they tend to do, and it's because, I mean, unfortunately, so many people are on so many different meds. I mean, it's just um, crazy. <laughs> and... One of them is, you know, one of the sort of steps is to start realizing that they don't need them or that they're not helping them. But of course, then you've got to, or people have to kind of work their way as to how to come off them. And I'm not telling people how to do that or anything like that. I'm not. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, this is not medical advice, you know, all that stuff. Um, It's just realizing. there's There's something screaming at me throughout this conversation, which is that your second book is going to be called What Really Makes You Healthy. 
<laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe it'll be a smaller one. <laughs> so yeah. Um yes, and it's not just the food, it's not just your lifestyle, it's not just the toxins you avoid, it's not just the non-native VMFs. It it's it's all combinations of, of all of them. And because we're all different. Uh, actually, maybe that would be a thick book because it would it, it needs so many different aspects, and because yeah. we're all different in different combinations, and that's why it's not actually easy when people say, "Well, if it wasn't, you know, if it wasn't a virus, what was it?" I mean, that that's the first mistake. I mean, I, I know we said we weren't going to go into it, but it's yes, it's sir. more the kind of the, the big picture. But it's because there isn't an it. They're looking for an it because people are so used to thinking that there is a problem with a solution there's so one redu thing. reductionistic it's so reductionistic. exactly but that's the indoctrination system that we all grew up in that's called yeah. school um you know so we really stuck with these um ideas of you know um one problem one solution instead of realizing that we have to look at i mean not even problems but whatever the situation is and we've we've each of us has got has got a, a unique solution to our own lives and we have to take responsibility back and that again is a key problem for many people actually realizing that they have the responsibility which yeah. requires and this is not patronizing but it requires people to realize that they've been kept in a very childish state you know because they've been told what to do and they've given the rules and they've they're kept small and it hasn't allowed them to really grow up and say no no i'll i'll do things for myself thank you i'll make my own choices and this is where we are i think we're all learning we're coming out of that and saying no actually i'll make my own choices and so we're all unique in finding whatever those choices are and that direction is and what works for us. And again, I'm not going to go into the diet thing, but you know, different people respond differently to different diets. So I don't think there's any one, mm -hmm. any way of anything. It's whatever suits you. And sometimes something that suits you at one stage of your life might not suit you at a later stage or at a different stage, or depending if you, you know, move to a different part of the world. I mean, how have you noticed changes because you've moved, Joel? You're now in a different country. I mean, yeah, uh, he's, he's happier. He's much happier because he's closer to me. So that's one of the big changes that I think he's impacted. But yeah, I mean, this no, is a completely different environment, you know, like surrounded by new nature, new flora, a new fauna, you know, new everything, new ways of cooking food, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, there's all there's a huge adjustment period that took place initially you know, in, in, in moving here. Yeah. There's even like, I haven't gone super deep into this element of human design, but like human design goes to really deep aspects of like, what's the ideal environment for you to be in? What's the ideal, like, um, eating pattern. There's different patterns that go into it. Some people are more meant to eat hot foods. Some are more meant to eat cold foods. Some people are more meant to like, there's just, it's wild. And I haven't delved too deep into it. So again, again, it's information. People can experiment with it because that's what this is. Life is an experiment and see how that impacts you. So back to what you're saying, it's like, there isn't this one size fits all for anything because we're unique. We have unique consciousness. We have unique traumas. We have unique um, needs and wants and desires. Like it's insane to me that like, no, take this one little pill 
and that will solve the problem and that's it. Yep. And if we give it to a million people. But this this is like ridiculous. why self-knowledge is so fun so fundamental, you know, and no one can do the work of acquiring self-knowledge except for the individual self that's embarking on that endeavor. And you can't have self-trust without self-knowledge. You can't have self-esteem without self-trust or self-knowledge, you know? And uh, I think this beast system is so dependent on the lack of trust that people have within themselves. And reclaiming one's personal power requires bit by bit extricating ourselves from that system and reclaiming our own ability to be responsible for ourselves, you know, as we, as, as, as we reclaim that power. And it's an individual journey for every single person, you know, and I think listening to podcasts like this helps inspire people and, you know, people are all on their unique journeys and they're going to come across the information or the speaker or the research, whatever it might be that's required at that time for them to, to reclaim that level of power. But yeah, there's no, you know, just, just like there's no one size fits all cure. There's no one size fits all method for being, you know, who, who you are either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, um, with what you were saying about, you know, different sort of hot, hot foods, cold foods, things like that, that, that ties into the Ayurvedic si- system, isn't it? The um, doshas? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not related to that. Oh, no, I'm no. Sure, I'm sure, Similar. obviously, it makes sense in the sense that, like, different body types and different people, like, are meant to process things in unique ways or have different constitutions. Yeah, yeah. I see. I think it's more so related to, to digestion specifically. I could be wrong on that. but Yeah, it, it, it is. Like for example, for me, it's recommended that, that I eat only in calm environments, you know. Um, so, which is difficult with, with young kids, but that's the recommendation. But for example, my eldest daughter, her digestion in human design is called alternative appetite, and this is so obvious. Like she creates the craziest matches. Like she'll put like tomato sauce on like a blueberry and enjoy it, kind of thing. Like it's super weird. But she doesn't know anything about this information yet. She displays these qualities, you know, so naturally. So there's something there, I think. Mm, that's the thing with children. Allowing, mm, I was going to say allowing children to do what is natural rather than telling them what to do and yeah. and observing and, um, you know, obviously only kind of checking if you think there's something that, you know, they may get themselves into some kind of difficulty, but, you know, otherwise just sort of watching them because – you know, we can learn so much from them as well because in, you know, certainly in the early years, they are really tuned into nature to, you know, sort of uh, expanded consciousness in, in ways that, you know, we, we've sadly lost. But I think, well, um, not entirely lost, you know, then, you know, we, we can find our way back to understanding mm-hmm. these things if we learn how to, you know, tune in. Um, but it does take, you know, quiet time and, and just being out and, you know, being able to intend to, to tune into to those other areas. Um, but again, watching children and the way they interact and, and what they do and how they see things, um, you know, that that's, that's the way we can start learning more about who we are and what we can do um, and then start implementing those things for ourselves, really kind of getting getting more back to nature, recognizing nature, being part of it and, and connecting with it. So, yeah, I, d- I, um, I mean, I don't have any small children around me to watch, but uh, that would be interesting, you know, because they have their what are called imaginary friends. And, of course, they're not imaginary to them. 
and calling them imaginary is is kind of taking away part of their experience and sort of um, denying what their experience actually is because that's what they're experiencing. I mean, it's it's very interesting. Yeah, it's like this pure unfoldment of being that you observe, you know, in in, mm. in children, you know. And again, I'm not I'm not around them often, but it's it's very interesting to see. You know? You know, their essence come through. And when you're into these different systems or astrology or numerology or whatever, um, you you can you can see some of these like patterns. You know, it's very yeah. it's cool to see. And it's it's not it's not just the essence. Like I know in your bio, Dawn, you mentioned you're into IFS. Like you see the distinction of parts, you know, yeah, that. so purely like being able to switch from like, you know, having an exorcism into being like an angel, like within like a you know, two and a half minute time span, you know, and it's so important, I think, to, to to understand parts work when being a parent and when 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 raising children, because we can so easily like you know conflate an individual like without recognizing the differential that happens through selves. You know, like oh, you're such a bad girl, or you know, you're such you know, you're being so naughty, or you're always this way, you're always that way. Like to me, that language is so damaging when you don't really understand yeah. the concept of parts. It's so limiting. It's limiting, yeah. It, it's it's so limiting, you know, and it's like, and again, it's like a person behaves in one way in a certain situation. And again, it's like, it lacks discernment. That's what I've talked about before, where it's like, you're following someone or you're, you're there's an author or, or a researcher that you're into, and they say one thing that you don't like, and you just throw everything that they've ever done out the window. And so then there's a human being in your life who says one thing or does one thing from a certain aspect of them. And then you're like, okay, you're, you are a horrible person. Like all of you is horrible. And it's just, that's not the reality. Now, again, if a person continues to act certain ways, okay, you get your data and you can make your decisions, but we are so complex. We contain multitudes. Like this work was foundational for me, parts work, not Richard Schwartz work, but the works of Drs. Hal and Sidra Stone in my 20s, you know, as uh, studying as an actor, but also like it impacted me as a human being because it allowed me to understand the nuances and what was happening within me. And there was like a structure to it and understanding uh, that was really powerful. So I, I, I'm such an advocate of parts work. Um, and I think it allows you to have so much more compassion for yourself as well. Anyways, please share your thoughts on that. Yeah, um, the... The IFS um, allowed me to recognize, uh, as I was saying before, you know, that with my, you know, the inner voice saying, oh, you know, kind of pull yourself together, you'll be, you know, whatever it was, these are the different parts. And again, the, um, you can say inner critic, but at the same time, uh, it was a part that was really helping me to to keep going. You know, that was obviously a, a strong part that was not just being critical it, it was really really encouraging to say you know it, it was almost the, the voice that was saying you can do this um but in a way that really got me out of where i was so not i didn't recognize i mean obviously looking back you know i can see that that's what those parts were doing um but again to to even as you say see all the different parts and and not to even think of any of them as being bad they're just 
you know, part they're just aspects of you and you you have a look at the, the role they're playing and see how that helps you with wherever you are and what what information you can get from that and how you can learn and how useful it is. And sometimes it can be useful to have something that is not necessarily, you know, the love and light type part to 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 get you out of a certain way that you're moving or the certain ideas that you're having. And you know, to and it, again, it's this good and bad, right and wrong. I mean, yes, there are polarities at the same time. There are nuances where you can not necessarily see something, you know, like anger, for example. I mean, when I was, again, growing up, there was a lot of anger and I didn't like it at all. It's not so much, and I've learned that it's not so much the anger, it's what people do with it. Mm-hmm. So it's recognized. So I, it's that's changed my perspective on anger. So it's you know there is there is an emotion that is described as anger, and it's what people do with it. So it's not to suppress the anger, it's, but it's also not to then throw it out at people around you because then you're just projecting and you're upsetting people. Well, you don't and have why, very. Oh, sorry. Continue. continue. No, I'm just going to say, and and you have to look at why you would want to then do that. Yeah, and I think many people who explode in anger don't have conscious relationships with the more vulnerable parts of them. They don't have a relationship to that. And so um, the ultimate benefit of a part of you that's that can be angry is that when you utilize it consciously, it can benefit you in so many ways. You know, I use this term often, the homeopathic dose, like a homeopathic dose of anger, like can allow you to speak your truth and set boundaries and not allow someone to walk all over you and to assert your needs um and you know this works with all the other different parts as well because they can if they're repressed for so long they can come out in very quote-unquote demonic ways you know and and that could you know hurt your life or hurt other people but when you can kind of put your arms around them and embrace all these different parts of you you know and often in life stand between the tension of opposites when certain circumstances present themselves you you bring more consciousness to it you can actually have more choice in your life and that's huge because people conflate like awareness with consciousness and it's they're not the same thing awareness is just a a, a detached knowing of a thing of, of of just but it's not like it may not help you in, engage and communicate differently and behave differently in life it, yeah it supports you but you know being able to understand there's a multiplicity within and that different parts of you might want to engage in different ways and then to uh, act from a more conscious place, that that's just different than just saying, oh, every time someone says this to me, I always get angry, but you're still doing it. You do it and do it and do it and do it. So you're aware that this act gets you angry, but what are you doing about changing the behavior? You know, and this is where there's other more subtle work that needs to be done. Yeah. And, but this is like where we have the opportunity to have more free will in our lives as well, you know, and free will really is just conscious choice, um, you know, and when we're able to gain more access to these parts, you know, because most people are very much living one, one dimensionally or within like 20% of the range of emotions and parts that are available to them. But as we do this work that Erasmus is mentioning, like we have access to, in Erasmus's language, a far greater symphony, a greater orchestra of instruments to pull from and to respond from and to behave from and to adapt from. And life becomes so much more interesting you know, when, when we're able to, to do this consciously. It was more full. And also what happens too is that like the more parts that you become aware of, you can see them in other people. You can have compassion. And instead of just projecting 
the disowned qualities within yourself onto other people. You're the bad one. You're the angry one. You're the evil one. When it's like, shit, I know. I know the part of me that can get angry. I know the part of me that can lie, that can cheat, that can steal, you know, and, and manipulate. And so, oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And yes. to me, like, sorry, go. No, what I was going to say is, I mean, that is such an important point, the, the distinction between awareness and consciousness. So many people do say, you know, that consciousness, it means awareness. It, it's so much more than that. That, that, it was just, it, that was just, I just wanted to kind of emphasize how important that is because that it, they are, there's a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. I think, of, I think about like the astrological archetypes, you know, and all the breakdowns and the positive and negative sides of these archetypes and the gifts and the shadows and all the rest of it. It's like this kind of gives us the map of all the parts that are accessible to us, you know. Mm -hmm. Like you're Pisces, I'm Scorpio. Like he's Gemini. But th that doesn't mean that we're limited to that to that range. I think the goal is to be able to have access to the entire um, arrangement of archetypes that exist. And I think you know these different divinatory arts give us a glimpse into the traits and the qualities of the universe, which ultimately are available to all of us to activate within our own yeah. you know, universe. Yeah. Uh, yes, I, I I agree that we're not um, limited to whatever sort of one aspect. It's just sometimes certain aspects may be slightly stronger, um, and that's the point of also identifying as as something that is possibly limiting instead of, yeah. as you say, opening it up and and recognizing that we are a, a complex mix of of all kinds of parts, and it's a question of which one is appropriate to play at any one time. You know, like like you know, with with the orchestra. I mean, it's is a great example that you know, in certain you know compositions. You know, there are certain instruments that are to the fore, and others. You know, some are soft, and others are loud. It's you know, it's not about good and bad. And again, moving that kind of language out of you know the everyday speech to see that we are complex and we can utilize all these different parts and be be different you know incorporate all the different parts and and it's fine yeah. not to be not to be allowed to to be limited you know again it's kind of putting us into our little boxes are we all this you know and again we may to identify i mean yes there are two genders and i'm not disputing that so male and female but otherwise there, there aren't too many kind of you know separate boxes that we have to kind of put lock ourselves in which minimum which reduces our range of experiences that we can have you know the more open we are to to these different parts yeah. we can have a, a, a different range of experiences and choose from them because again you kind of may not want to do something or you may mm -hmm. They have an experience. They think, oh, I'll try that. Didn't like it, or I'll try that. Oh, I like that. I'll try that again. I mean, within whatever it is you're doing, so it's to be flexible. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think about the like you know you know the common saying that people have like, oh, he completely changed after we got married. Like she completely changed after we got married. Like yeah, like a completely different part is now more prevalent. Like this married self you never knew before, you know, and now you're having that experience with that with that self. It's like. We need to be able to give each other the grace to realize that we're all, you know, constellations in that regard as well. And we're all changing. So, you know, yeah. and or we should be changing as we kind of develop and learn and experience and expand. Um, so, yeah, 
Yes, but I mean, yes, I, I hadn't thought of it in in that way. But yes, you're right. Until you're married, you you don't you aren't a married self. So that's, that's a right. different. Yeah, it's a different role. Yeah. I read, I read this quote from Gurdjieff on the weekend, which is so relevant. I just loved it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it now. He says, man has no individual eye, but there are instead hundreds and thousands of separate small eyes, very entirely unknown to one another, never coming into contact or on the contrary, hostile to each other, mutually exclusive and incompatible. Each minute, each moment, man is saying or thinking I, and each time his eye is different. Just now it was a thought, now it's a desire, now a sensation, now another thought, and so on endlessly, man is a plurality, man's name is legion. And I just thought that was so potent, you know, and it got me just thinking like, what is the authentic self from that lens? What is the authentic I from that lens? You know, my, my teachers, uh, Helen Sidgerstone, they wouldn't use the word authentic self. Mm. They wouldn't use it, you know? Cause it's like each part thinks it's authentic, you know? And so which one, what's one more, one's more authentic to the other. Now, if you look at, again, like the stuff we talk about human design and we talk about like, we have these templates that are authentically us. So it's like these constellations that are ideally more us. Cause you know, I have a more default way of being, cause I say, Oh, oh I, I identify as a Gemini, a five, one generator or whatever. You know, there's things that are more natural to me or more present. You know, but again, like they're different. Like it's what I said before too. If like vulnerability is authentic, like okay, well, the part of me that's gonna punch someone in the face, they're about to like hurt a friend in the moment. That's fucking authentic too. You know, so it's a like, spectrum of authenticity. Yeah, so it's very interesting. Yeah, but I mean, like to to be authentic, you have to be deeper in touch with this core essence of of truth. You know, so the the parts. The parts can have relationships with truth. And I think the bar- the spectrum of that relationship with truth is what determines authenticity. But whether there's a single authentic self, like, mm, I don't know. Um, um, who, who we are in any one moment is the collection of parts in that moment. And, and because it's an orchestra, there'll be different aspects playing different at the different levels at any one time so it's it's always authentic if you are uh we'll say if no so that's putting a condition i don't mean that as as we learn as we grow as we keep um expanding and understanding who we are and putting that into effect that will always change there is a a sense of um self you know the the if you like with a capital s of of yeah. our true nature that is um that's kind of like doing behind it's not behind but it, it's it's like uh, a container i think there's, there's a container self yes. which holds the cells you know yeah the the self holds the parts if you like it's it's yeah. just we get trapped self with by a capital language. s i know it's yeah. all like it's different words that are used to mean different things and but you know, this is a fun conversation. It's interesting to 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 think about. Yeah, it's it's the the way I see. That's why I don't use like to use self because it sounds individualized. And again, we are experiencing from an individualized perspective, um, and that's why I like to use the term "all that is" because it's all encompassing. So from that perspective, we 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 can recognize that we are part of the 
all that is, and we're having an individualized experience that is that is changing all the yeah. time. And mm-hmm. and it should, and and allowing ourselves to change, yeah. not thinking, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't be different, you know, because I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to be this or whatever it is, and limiting, and yeah. and like you say, you know, kind of allowing certain expressions if. If somebody looks like they're going to be in trouble and you want to help them out, that it might take a certain part of you to to just say, you know, to to, to hold the boundary, but maybe to take a step beyond what you would normally do in terms of boundaries. But you know, yeah. you're, you know, I mean, or, or if you know somebody's about to something looks like it's about to happen, you know, you drag them back, which, you know, I mean, maybe it wouldn't happen. Do you know what I mean? It's just- I do know what you mean. I do know what you mean. Impulses, these impulses, but at the same time, that's not how you act all the time. Yeah, no, not at all. And this is why like people talk about shadow work and people talk about like becoming Mm -hmm. more whole. This is the process is getting to know these different parts of you in a conscious manner. So when the, the different life experiences present themselves to you. You have more at your, you have more of you at your disposal to potentially bring more success in a situation. You know, like if you're limited, if you're rigid, there's only a certain area of life that you can kind of dance in, you know, that you can move through. But the more expanded you are, you can navigate life way more gracefully. You know, Um, you can navigate your relationships more gracefully and consciously. And so I, I think that's important. It's really important work to meet these parts and to get to know them and understand why they came about, you know, because again, different parts of us come forth a lot of times because of different traumas that we've faced in our lives. And so there's a history to these parts, you know? So it's like you have like the archetypes, which are universal, but then the parts are much more personal in a lot of ways in terms of how they, um, manifest within you as a as an individual like you mentioned individual before it's like yes we're an individualized expression of this all that is of source and yet within that individual expression there is this multiplicity there's there's this plurality which is fascinating and i think also like self is a verb you know consciousness is a verb like this is an ongoing process like the evolution of consciousness this experience it's mutating, it's fluid. We're constantly grasping new information and experiences and evolving as a result. So, you know, it's not this stagnant noun self, you know, it's like, no, I'm changing constantly. Yeah. Yes. I was going to say that's, that's the other aspect is to recognize change and to be able to embrace it rather than be fearful of change, you know, and, and I mean, obviously, you know, not everyone wants sort of, all, all types of change, but it's to recognize and to be open to the possibility. And, and again, like with music, you know, you can draw a parallel because there's there's no limit to the different types of um, music that can be played with, you know, a variety of instruments. And, and you know, they some will be more prominent at some times and some, yeah. some won't be. So, you know, again. Yeah. It, and isn't that the magic? Isn't that the magic of life? Isn't the magic of the experience? Isn't that what lights you up more than anything else? The fact that there's all these experiences, all this depth that exists out there, but also in here and all this different stuff that I get to feel and be and respond to and create, you know, like to me, that's the juice. That's what excites me about living, about having this conversation about, you know, being here more than anything else. It's like, give me that. I want that. I want to use it. I want to transmute it. 
I want to be the alchemist of all these experiences and create magic. Mm, yeah, it's, you know, well, what's possible? Okay, let's yeah. see. Yeah, rather than kind of, um, well, you know, I'm this, so I follow this. You know, she's just yeah. opening it all up. And- yeah, and like the the system that most of us are conditioned to, to respond in, it's, it's, it's very limited. Like it's lifeless. It's magicless. There's not much opportunity available in that for us to be able to have these expansive experiences, you know. The highways, as we often say, are pre-carved. You know, you go to school, you go to go to uni, you get the degree, you pick the standard job, whatever it might be. You know, but you're missing that juice. You're missing. You're, you're missing that fire in that. And the authentic path, which we constantly talk about, it's like you're in the forest. This is the wilderness. Like the terrain is unknown. There's no path in front of me. I'm gonna chop down that tree. I'm gonna step on that snake. I'm gonna, you know, go through the mud. But I'm constantly transformed through that in every single moment. And like, this is where the mystery is so beautiful in what, this is where being human really comes to life for me. And everything around us is designed to take that away from you, you know, and it's intrinsically linked to responsibility. You know, the the authentic path requires you to be responsible, but we've been sold this idea that not being responsible and being convenient and being comforted is somehow, you know, the, the more, the more meaningful path. And that's the lie. To me, that's the ultimate lie. The the path, um, you know, that that path of um, excitement, joy, magic, is usually something we're we're made to fear. You know, it's like, oh, you can't. You know, it's the can't. You know, can't do. Yep. We tell what we can and can't do. So we're very much limited. And then we get that mindset, um, or you know, some people do, at which restricts the experience and then when they're told well you know what would you like to do it's kind of oh i'm not sure um i mean sometimes it's like i'm not sure because there are lots of possibilities so um it, it, it is forging that path forward and again talking about shadow work i think I, i'm i mean i understand why it's called shadow work but i think some sometimes people might get the impression because it's a shadow and shadows are usually dark you know it's shadow side you know you get the idea that it's that it's only dark and some people might not want to look in those dark places now sometimes it is dark but it's not actually it's dark <laughs> well yeah and and i think it's important to look at those dark places and yet shadow work also is about bringing forth your potential as well like to reclaim the parts of you that are going to bring you closer to, to living your dream and doing the things that you want to do and bring you more joy in your life, you know, because, you know, for many people, like the joy had been, had been conditioned out of people, the light had been conditioned out of people, the magic has been conditioned out of people. And so how do you bring that back? You know, it's not just talking about like the part of you that can, you know, do dark and other things, you know, it's, it's, it's all of it. You know, it's like what's present versus what do you not know that you don't know? You know, it's like, it's that. And then how do you bring that to light? Yeah. Like I think about again, like the orchestra analogy, like there's this whole section at the back that, you know, has never seen the light, like the spotlight's not shining on it, you know, and the shadow work is pretty much turning, turning that on, you know, bringing life into that gaining access to that. Mm, Yes. I mean, just shining the light on whatever parts of you that you've, shut down or been told you can't you know this is kind of 
can't what you can't do or what you shouldn't be doing or, or how you've been repressed and put into a way of thinking that you know yeah. that you're not supposed to do something or you know being made too small i mean that that's something um that i had i've had to uh, you know i've i've worked my way through it and come out the other side and and i mean and part of that process actually taught me that i was putting the blame somewhere and so i i that took me a while to realize oh hang on a minute <laughs> you know you you know because if you're blaming then you're i i was well i was just blaming and so i was perpetuating this whole blame mechanism and so recognizing that was just another step of shining a light on something that i, I hadn't seen as easily it was just you know because there was a certain thing that had you know been said to me when i was a child and it was like well that wasn't a nice thing to say and then but keeping that so i said well i'm not that but i hadn't got out of where I was there until I'd got rid of blaming. I mean, it was my mother, but I mean, blaming my mother and just, just having compassion, letting that go and saying, that was where you were. Um, and it's amazing how that shifted. But, you know, that was a shadow I hadn't seen, if you like. That was a part I hadn't seen, that I was still holding on to yeah. blaming her for that. You know, it's just it's those kinds of things where you just, you know, oh, you have these little insights and 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 mm. so it it's an ongoing journey and you know it's not it's oh well I've done that tick done the it's, shadow work yeah. I'm going to work tick that off forever. I mean, it just goes on until we take mm. our last breath to some degree because there's always a, a new moment to change, a new moment to experience something different, and then and then I might still go on. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, it's 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 so uh, you have to remain curious, you know. You have to remain curious, and and again, what we've talked about this this whole conversation, like the overarching umbrella, is how can we shift more from those parts of us that are more personally responsible, and not just be living from these parts of us that are more victim oriented. You know, it doesn't mean we don't we repress that. It doesn't mean we 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 push all that uh, underneath. It's just what what parts of us do we want more of that are going to guide us more consciously forward, you know, uh, living the life that we deeply, deeply want. Mm, taking us into the magic as, you know, as Joel was saying, you know, it's, it's recognizing that it's magic and um, being able to really find the parts that help you forward and, and even recognizing the parts that, you know, may have maybe kind of, sending a little message that you just got something else to work through so and it and it's all it's all magic it's recognizing that it is that it is all magic and it is a mystery and um you know not knowing is sometimes you know the major part of the magic because if you knew mm -hmm. everything wh where do you where do you learn i mean in to it, in some in the kind of bigger picture if you like it, it is all known it's just you know we make we have free will we make choices and we choose where we are in in each moment and that's where the magic mm. that's where the magic lies the mystery and the joy yeah always and again sitting with the unknown not knowing the uncertainty that's in the realm of more of the more vulnerable archetype you know as opposed to knowing, you know, it's, I know I have the answers. It's a different quality. And so I think the more people can open up to the not knowing, 
open up to the uncertainty and sitting with it. And then what happens to you when you do that? Like, it's a whole different experience. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the yes, the, um, the uncertainty is, is, a di- is a difficult one for some people because, you know, they, they yeah. kind of... They difficult for to- me sometimes. <laughs> my, well, my, life, my life theme in human design is the life theme of uncertainty. <laughs> That's what it's called. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, um, if if you you know if you're happy to embrace that, that's fine. It's it's the um, I I I don't know if mine is. I have to have a look. Um, but the the kind of uncertain. What was it? The um, waiting to respond. Um, mm. Because I I always thought, um, oh, I'd love to be more spontaneous um, and thinking it was a problem that I wasn't just, oh, no, let's just do. And now I've found that my, um, that oh, what what part is, oh, sorry. The- it's, it's a strategy, but but it's, it's strategy. About, you can still be yes. spontaneous, but it's in response. You know? Yes, it's like, it's exactly. It's, it's subtle, it's different. Y- yes, it is. And learning that strategy, sorry, I, I forgot that there's like no terms, worries, no strategy. Worries. No, knowing that strategy has really helped me. It was like, okay, that's good. Because sometimes, you know, in certain situations, it's like I, I don't respond straight away and just, you know, sleep on it the next morning and go, oh, okay, and it's fine. And and there are some times where you know it's right. I mean, I know something's right. I just feel it. Whereas other times, and it's and it's really good to know that, that it's fine, um, you know, and Sometimes something else crops up and, you know, it's making decisions and it's always thinking that, you know, and again, that's the indoctrination from school of, you know, things are right and you get a tick or things are wrong and you get a cross. So you, you're supposed to know, um, whereas the the uncertainty yeah. is, you know, yeah. it's, Dawn, it's far more exciting. Don, I know we could keep talking for hours on different things and, and just kind of, you know, exploring life and what does it mean to be human and, and all that. Uh, we're at around the 90 minute mark. Um, what, um, like what's next for you? Like, what are you excited about? And then, you know, how can people support you and your work? Uh, well, as I said, sort of at the beginning, I'm kind of working on a, a program. I, I'm, so uh, I haven't got any specific details I can share with you at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do write um, on Substack. Uh, it's Dawn's Writings. It's what it's called. It's dawnlester.substack.com. I've literally just put out a, a part two of an article that's the uh, what I've called the um, hidden effects of the pandemic because so much of it is how people have been affected um, mentally and the whole idea of mental health, which is is another psyop is sort of pushing the idea of mental health problems. Um, and that's just because they put people into fear and then telling them that they've got mental health problems. You go, well, you know, you've caused it. Um, but these are temporary situations, you know, this kind of fear. So I just literally just posted the the second part of that. It's, it, it, there's it's just to help people see how they've been pushed into um, a fear-based way of thinking. Now, it's not to say fear is, again, like with our different parts, you know, not we have to, oh, you know, fear is bad, but we shouldn't be made to be fearful of something that just isn't true. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the whole whatever the pandemic was based on was was not true. So it's helping people come out of that, really. So, um 
Yeah, that that's the Substack. Um, I mean, there's the the website for the book, whatreallymakesyouill.com. And uh, um, I think that's probably the the main ways for for people to buy. Oh, I mean, I'm I'm only on Facebook. I mean, I don't do much of social media. Um, so otherwise, yeah. And I mean, it's been great. Thank you. And it's it's gone so quickly. Has gone great. Has gone very quickly. Has gone. We're going to put all those links in the show notes. So for anyone listening that wants to get in contact um, with Dawn, uh, please do so via the show notes. Dawn from one six two emotional generator to another. It's been a pleasure having this conversation with you. Appreciate you being here and appreciate, you know, the work that you're doing in the world. And nice to see your your role model phase post 50 continue. And I'm excited to see, you know, what continues to unfold in that regard as well. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been great. No worries. Big hugs, Tom. Yeah, much love and respect. And, and can't wait to see you in person next time, whenever that is. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully soon. And yeah. and hopefully Joel as well one day. Yeah, we'll sort something out. We'll yeah, make we'll it make happen. It. We'll make it happen. <laughs> There you are, see? Yeah. See, see you next time, everyone. Post thoughts. Post thoughts. Post thoughts. <laughs> hey, everyone. That's welcome, welcome to post thoughts. This is our new thing. We, uh, we might have noticed the last like few episodes. We just, once it ends, we just share some post thoughts. Um, so uh, here we are again. We had another episode, another interview with um, Don Lester. Um. Yeah, I, I love Dawn. I think she's uh, lovely. I love the work that she's doing. I love the work that she's done. You know, the book that she wrote, you know, before 2020 uh, started to really uh, highlight the, the germ theory lie. And uh, yeah, it was great to, to finally have her on and and uh, have a lovely chat. And we went, it went into a lot of different areas and um, things that are important to contemplate in terms of like who we are. Why are we here? You know, how do we expand? How do we tap into more of who we are so we can you know, achieve the things that we want to achieve in our, in our, in our life, which is, you know, a big thing about what we do with Rise Up the Herd. You know, that's our big focus. Yeah. You know, like reclaiming the mystery, I think has been a common theme throughout this podcast, you know, since the very first episode. And I think that's what keeps people young in a, in a sense. That's what keeps people in touch with their, with their life force, with their creativity, you know, is really being connected to the mystery that is life and the mystery that is the fact that you're alive as a human being that has potential and that, and that has dreams. And, you know, um, oh, this is this is the process, you know. This is this is yeah. this is the in many ways it's like the goal, you know, is to not lose touch with with that aspect of of reality, and uh, you know, it's something which we've really tried to drive in and echo home since day one. Yeah, and even back to what you said um, in the episode about stagnancy. Yep, you know, like think about life that is stuck. And all these repressed and disowned parts of you that are just there in the shadows that you have no awareness of. Um, and I just think as we we continue this self-reclamation, you know, maybe not in a small way, but if we, as we continue this part of reclaiming who we are on a deep and nuanced levels, we gain that life force energy back. Yeah. You know, and that helps us remain young. That helps us remain vital as we move through life. Yeah, and you can even think about it on a, on a bioenergetic level, you know, life force that's stuck in the body and that's, you know, trapped in, in, in certain areas and like hasn't had a flow and hasn't had movement and isn't able to, you know, send the creative life force energy to other aspects of the body. Like it's exactly the same thing and the work is done both ways, you know, it's as, as, it's as within, so without. Um, but yeah, we won't keep you guys too long on here. Rise above the herd, round eight, 
We're wrapping up another incredible round now as we speak. But if you're down to do this work and kick off the new year, January 8th, with a really, you know, positive, inspiring start to really ground you on your mission and on your purpose and really bring you, you know, psychological wholeness in a, in a, in a pretty profound way, then riseaboveTheHerd.co or the show notes is, is the place to learn more about that. And we'd love to see you inside the next round. You know, I'm loving, I'm loving the work that we're doing at Rise Above the Herd. You know, it blows my mind that we're still doing this eight rounds later. And, you know, we're getting more interest and better feedback every single time that we go through this process. So if you feel the call, I'm not going to push it too hard, but that's the place. Take care, everybody. Smoke and mirrors, I'm seeing through the illusion. Waking up in a the time, they think you're in a delusion. Somebody set the alarms, cause they be too busy snoozing. I'm in a DeLorean. Fast forward and never.